Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And on today's show, I have the great pleasure of welcoming back Ignition Poker-sponsored streamer and one half of the PokerCoaching.com study stream dynamic duo, Shondell Crazy Sixes Pruitt. Shondell's a longtime and accomplished MTT wizard who exudes confidence and has every reason to do so. He's just one of those dudes who consistently does things the right way. Whether it's managing his volume, battling on the green felt, or keeping his game sharp through regular, dedicated poker study, Shondell is a modern-day poker warrior. Some of the greatness bombs you're about to greedily gobble up in this episode include... Secrets on managing your energy so that you can carve out time for doing the things that are most important to you. The specific factors Shondell believes you ought to consider when choosing your next poker coach. What your expectations ought to be on the student side of a private coaching arrangement. And much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you a longtime friend of Chasing Poker Greatness, the one and only Shondell Crazy Sixes Pruitt. Shondell, welcome to the show, sir. How you been? I am great. I'm excited to be back, man. Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's been quite a while. I think that, what were you, like, in the top 10 of episodes, I think. Um, you wanted early ones. It was, yeah, uh, one of the real early ones. Ago? Was it about a year ago or so? Maybe uh, been, even longer about longer. It's been a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Um, which, so it, it's interesting that a year and a half can feel like such a long time. But also I realized that CPG has only been going for a year and a half, which <laughs> is kind of surprising to me too, because it feels like it's been going for much longer. Yeah. It feels like we've been doing this for a long time. Right. And it's only been a year and a half and we've come so far. It feels like, I mean, I feel like I've had some growth. Uh, see CPG is growing like crazy. A lot of incredible guests. Um, so I'm sure that's been exciting, but yeah, man. Yeah. It's, Everything's exciting except for the pandemic and <laughs> the li- <laughs> the life for the last year. Everything business-wise has been exciting. Um, it's just, you know, that sort of grim reaper that's been like over our heads, the sh- long shadow over our lives for the past year. Hopefully that's winding down and life can go back to some kind of semblance of normal in the near future, because I'm, I'm ready to hit the real world and see you guys at poker tournaments and have dinner and conversations <laughs> with all these people that I've met through the pod. Right. Like wow, that's a, what is that? That sounds like fun. Wow. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anybody. I haven't met with anybody. Actually that's a halfway true. Nick Howard did a poker detox retreat in Atlanta and it was, I believe early March of 2020. So it was like right before the lockdowns and everything. As a matter of fact, when the detox crew rolled in 
there was a lot of fear on their end that they weren't going to be able to fly out of Atlanta because of the pandemic. So that's really that's really the only people poker people I've gotten <laughs> to spend time with in yeah you know, through the whole course of CPG in real life anyway. I've spent a lot of virtual time with people. Yeah, that's funny you say that. I think the last time I had an opportunity to spend time with poker people or play live poker was like a month. No, like two weeks before everything got shut down. Uh, poker coaching had a uh, meetup for all the coaching where we, you know, discussed business and coaching and whatnot. So we all flew in two weeks before the pandemic. And that was the last time I played live or really <laughs> traveled or done anything. So yeah, can't wait, man. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's one of those things that like we'll look back on it as like, I guess hard for me to say. I know Black Friday was very devastating and brutal. I do look back on the positives that sprang from Black Friday. I, I think obviously this is a much more serious matter and lots of people have lost their lives and all of that will, you know, you don't come back from that. And there's so there's lots of trauma that's built in through this pandemic. Um, for my personal life experience, I could see how I I will not, I hope, I don't take for granted the freedom of just being out in public and the freedom of travel like I did before because, you know, again, I didn't realize that such a thing could just be kind of taken away overnight and then it was and now it gives me a newfound appreciation to, yeah, just be able to, you know, go eat some food in a restaurant <laughs> without fear and just walk around and do your thing. Yeah, man, it's kind of crazy. It can all be taken away at any moment and people really just take it for granted myself included a lot, you know, I mean, everybody a little. And, yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's, it's, it's not a thing that you have daily gratitude for, or it wasn't a thing that <laughs> people had daily gratitude for until it kind of got taken away. And I think that, yeah, for the, for the near future anyway, people will, value these these things i mean even going to sporting events right like it's a oh, it's man. a fun fun time a really fun experience and you just kind of assume that you'll be able to catch some games over the course of a year and then you just don't have the option anymore yeah that kids sports all this kind of stuff mm. and it's like wow you know i have two kids and they missed entire seasons um in the summer and early like school was out and there was daycare there was no nowhere you could take your kids and work was closed so yeah man it's it was it's kind of crazy i'm glad that's coming to an end yeah me too so we can move beyond the pandemic talk for now it will probably Dang. rear its ugly head at some point in the conversation but uh want to start out this show I by asking you what you've been up to in the last you know year and a half since you've been on the show. Uh yeah. Uh, so the past year and a half um, since I've been on the show, um, I guess the big news for me, one of the biggest developments is Ignition started sponsoring streamers, um, and I was one of the first streamers they reached out to. You know, I put I play a lot of uh, put a lot of volume on the site. I stream. I put a lot of content out. From streaming that side have had a lot of success so that was extremely exciting for them to enter the market and kind of pick me up on the team and there's a lot of other great streamers um, out there they picked up as well so that was very exciting um been steadily improving i've had some really nice scores won a trophy um you know had a five-figure score in the past few months 
um, reaching out, getting some more different coaching. Um, you know, I got um, still working with some different coaches. So yeah, I'm just still in love with the game, streaming, doing some work with global poker as well and poker coaching. So yeah, everything is going great, man. Yeah. You mentioned multiple coaches. Why, why multiple coaches? Um, yeah, I think I'm at a point in my career where, you know, I spend a lot of time working on my game and trying to get better. And I like to get different perspectives, different outlooks. Um, I have a coach who, uh, get coaching from Ryan LaPlante. Um, you know, I really like the way he approaches a lot of situations, his creativity with the exploitative side while also meshing the theory as well. And then I've also been getting some coach from Matt Affleck because I really love the way he studies and dives in and dissects the game uh, through a theory based. So kind of going both those routes, I think for a player like myself is good because I don't really like to be in a box. I like to see the exploitative side, but I know theoretically I want to become a stronger player as well. And it's a process. Uh, trying to, you know, take all those different styles and everything we're learning and kind of incorporate it into my own game. Yeah, I mean, it, having multiple multiple perspectives is always good. Uh, and especially even just having multiple coaches to find one that resonates with you, that you click with and that you get work done and you're able to make fast gains. I think different strokes for different folks, right? And sometimes somebody that works very well for one human doesn't work very well for another. And so sort of it's on you as a player to seek out the coach that is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck and going to make the the biggest impact in your game. Um, I will say this about Matt Affleck. He came on the show as a guest and what I'll always remember about him is afterwards he had been coaching people and he knew that I had been coaching a significant amount of people in the cash game streets. And he said, Hey, could you for 30 minutes, can I just ask you some questions about your coaching methodology? Like how do you approach it? What are lessons mm -hmm. that you've learned? And that's something that like always stuck with me as impressive, just wants to know what other people are doing, wants to see if there's anything he could incorporate into his coaching methodology. You know, th those are the kinds of coaches that you want in your career that genuinely care about not just playing cards or not, not just playing cards or making money from coaching, but genuinely care about the art and the craft of being as good of a coach as they can, because it's unfortunately a little bit rare as it relates to the poker space. Yeah. I mean, he really actually cares. And, you know, one of the first things he'll help you do is, you know, obviously have a consultation and kind of leak find and leak bust and see what you're really struggling on and look at the data. I really like that kind of stuff. And, you know, I do think some people are like going to get one coach for me. I mean, I love the game and I have a lot of good relationships in the poker community. So if uh, there's somebody coaching that like, I'll have three, five, 10 coaches. You know, if I think I can click with this person, I can learn well from them. And I think, you know, they're, they can be a resource. I don't mind having as many coaches <laughs> as, you know, as necessary. I think. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I've done that I found to be pretty helpful as it relates to private coaching is you mentioned the, the consult, right. With 
Matt. Yep. Yeah, the, the consult. So I've had a consult for a while and it, it's a free consult. It's very soon in the near future to not be free anymore because uh, for a very specific reason that I guess I'll, I'll tell you right now or tell the listener too is that anybody that goes through the process of booking the consultation with private coaching will realize that before you can book the consultation, you actually hit a warning page that tells you all of the things that I'm not going to do. And it's like giant red font that says <laughs> warning. Um, I'm not the end all be all. I'm not going to answer all of your poker questions. Um, this is my coaching methodology. This is what we do. This is the expectation. This is the frequency of sessions. This is the process. Um, you're the hero in this journey. You're responsible for doing your work. If you, the expectation is that I'm going to do the work for you, um, don't book a consult. And, and that to me is like basically qualifying my students before we have the consult of like anybody that anybody that is not a good fit for me, I want to weed them out straight away, set expectations. Um, just because, yeah, it's uh, those consults, they, they take time, they take energy. And I want the people that I sit down with to be ready to pull the trigger and ready to go um, and know what's expected of them in order so that they can progress as quickly as they want to. Yeah. And you also just save yourself a lot of time up front from not having to sit there 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it may be. And you just weed those people out. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Yeah. It's just a, it's a tool that I've used and I'm like, Oh yeah, I see like <laughs> the people that book the consults are like, they're ready to go now. I'm not like spending time doing free ones with people who are like on the fence or, mm -hmm. you know, the expectation is that I sell them coaching. Like, I don't want to sell you coaching in the consultation. That does That is not fun for me. Um, basically, when we do the consult, I want you to be aware of the cost and the expectations. And yep, it. it's more of let's hit the ground running from here. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, the manner in which I do it. For a lot of my students, uh, they kind of come in with the expectation we're going to work together and let's put together some expectations, some scheduling and whatnot from there. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm doing away with the free consults too. It's just one more barrier to mm -hmm. make sure that the people who reach out to me are serious about improving their poker game and moving forward because those are, those are the people I want to work with. Like it, it's not even really about the money. It's about working with people who are serious and compassionate, yeah. Compass yeah passionate yeah. about improving and, and being their best selves. Yeah. That's my favorite, like finding young maybe low stakes, mid stakes players who are just kind of newish to the game. They're passionate. They want to get better. They've had some early success. They're not jaded, you know, and things like that. So yeah, I, I really love that working with that demographic myself personally. Yeah. Same. I want to do, I want to spend more time working with those types of people because that's when really the magic happens mm -hmm. like that. Those are the type of people that like you give them a homework assignment they show up the next week with like a NASA report and <laughs> blow you away. And you're like, you know, those people are always successful, by the way, as a, just like, I'm going to put this out there in the world. The people that have a coaching session, get assigned homework, show up the next week with an organized binder of information <laughs> that takes 30 minutes to go through. Those people are going to be successful poker players. And the ones that show up with, empty hands and are like, well, I, I remember the homework, but I didn't really get a chance. Like yep. they tend to struggle and that's just, 
that's just the reality in my experience. Great. So moving on from the, uh, the poker coaching talk, when you began your poker career, who is the biggest influence in you becoming a professional poker player? The biggest influence uh, to my, it's a tough question because I mean, I've always kind of been um, outside of my wife now slash uh, at the time was maybe my girlfriend or fiance. Uh, She was a pretty big influence, maybe because she just let me just, didn't always believe in me and let me do my thing, you know, um, didn't really hold me back. I didn't have family members or friends or anything to kind of push me or deter me from pursuing what I want. I've always been a kind of a person if I fell in love with something, I'm just going to kind of go for it. Yeah. Um, but the people closest to you in life kind of have to give you kind of let you do that, right? If, if you have a significant other that's going to kind of make it hard for you to do that or, you know, kind of be angry or something like that, it can be really difficult to kind of pursue your dreams. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, never have something like that. And if I love poker, or if I want to try to do something in life, I can just kind of go for it without having any issues. Right. Yeah, without any reservations, right? It's the right. same as like the my coaching process for getting people on the consults, right? <laughs> if you always have to deal with um, the friction of doing something like poker, you always, anytime you're going to the casino, your significant other gives you that red warning page with all the giant letters. Yeah. It's probably going to be, it, number one, it's probably going to be a major issue in your relationship. And number two, you're probably not going to find a lot of success because poker's hard enough when everything's going right in your life. And when you have extra stresses um, layered on top of that, that affect you emotionally, you're just much more likely to have poor results. Yeah, you can't have that mental weight. Uh, if you're playing, you know your significant other. Somebody's just not happy with you doing that right now. And all you want to do is relax and play. It's just you're not going to be able to play your A game or have that mental clarity. I don't know. Like to be to play great um, if you can't just focus on the game. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. for the listener, you can frame it like this, too. Like if you want to go to a bar and have a drink with your friend and your significant other is like, no, you can't go out and have a drink. Well, you might still go out and have a drink, right? But I guarantee you that will be on your mind the entire time you're having your drink, like having to go home, dealing with the fallout, having a fight. It's it's going to have an effect on the experience of what you're doing in pokers. Yeah, it's the same way. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have that, if you don't have the freedom to just do it from the people around you in your life, it's going to be incredibly hard to succeed. Exactly. So. The, the flip side is also true, right? Support your significant others as well in their endeavors. Be supportive in what they want to do because that it, it comes back, right? Like it, it's mm-hmm. like a boomerang. If you're not supportive in what they want to do and you're not happy when they want to go do stuff, well, guess what? When you want to <laughs> do stuff, they're probably not going to be happy either. Yep, and pay your uh, significant other tax, wife tax, 
uh, husband tax if you're <laughs> paying like when you win you know celebrate when you lose do not take it home you know uh, don't bring it back if you're running bad or things like that and celebrate when you win exactly that's, that's been very successful for me Yep, that is. Uh, those are greatness bombs <laughs> as it relates to dealing dealing with significant others. Um, yep. All right, so tell me the story of your favorite poker session ever, or the first one that kind of springs to your mind when you think of super memorable sessions. Super memorable sessions. Oh, uh, yeah. This is uh, probably the most memorable session is. Uh, it was pre-Black Friday. Um, you know, I had been playing poker for maybe a year and a half. You know, I started with <laughs> playing one cent, two cent cash game, playing the tightest ranges known to mankind before I knew anything, just kind of watching TV and just playing super nitty. But nonetheless, kind of built up, uh, started playing some MTTs. Uh, but I misclick registered um, a satellite for like a 320 ticket. You know, uh, it was a winner take all. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, I probably have no, no shot. It's probably like 10% of my bankroll at the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I played a satellite, uh, ended up winning the ticket to the uh, satellite, um, which was a $320 fatty to an 18K Aussie Millions package, which was a winner take all satellite for that. <laughs> So I um, I was living in Chicago at the time, uh, you know, just playing in literally the middle of the day or something. Uh, maybe it was a Saturday. Play, made, got in the saddy, ended up making a final table or whatever. Um, winner take all, it's kind of short, just hanging around, getting heads up. Massive deficit, double up a couple times, win the whole thing for like 18,000. And I probably at this time had like, a 2k roll something ridiculous you know and, i mean it was just so exciting because a it was just the misclick register and it was the kind of register you didn't have time to unregister <laughs> yeah like <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> congratulations here's your seat yeah you're uh, in there like oh no <laughs> <laughs> and then the euphoria of actually winning it and uh being a massive score at the time for relative to where I was in poker, how long I had been in there. So it certainly uh, was insanely exciting. It's something I'll never forget. That was that has to be my most exciting session. And I also was fortunate enough to play in a cash game session, exciting cash game session where it was just like a private game. And it was some guy who was just an insane gambler. <laughs> and he thought he, he just made a bunch of money playing blackjack at a casino. And he comes to this game and just thinks he's the man i don't i don't know he just the, the ego for not ever really having played poker and then just because you have money and you're not you you have no fear of losing it so this guy comes in i had been playing this cash game for like 10 12 hours and play he comes in 12 hours deep i was thinking about leaving and he just comes in just dumps and dumps and dumps and it was just like wow is this real life like it was a how, how much how much did he end up dumping oh he probably lost 6k at what what were the stakes? Three six. So to like maybe even more. I had to leave. I was like 20, 24 hours in. I was like, I gotta get out of here. I'm up. <laughs> I'm up. I'm like falling asleep at the table. But he had it was probably more than that, my goodness. Um, but yeah, it was just 
he was just playing so horribly bad. I just couldn't believe it. Was I was fortunate enough to be at a table when somebody comes and dumps that hard and that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it happens. You know, yeah. sometimes these kind of things just happen, and it's like Dunning Kruger in effect, right? Where <laughs> they just don't know how bad they are. Um, no or expectation is like, whatever, I'm just, uh, I'm good at life and I'll be good at poker too, because. Yep. Yeah. I think it was more of that. <laughs> like I made a bunch of money playing blackjack. I've been winning playing blackjack 10 times. How hard can poker be? Like, yeah. come on. I crush everything I do. Easy mode, easy, easy. mode. <laughs> um, yeah. It kind of reminds me of a, just a story when I was playing live poker of this kid ran up a stack of to like $25,000 at 10, 20 to limit and was really just not a great poker player but he was just destroying everyone except for me <laughs> like i was like the one person who was like evading all of his um carnage and uh a friend of mine jamie chevelle who played poker at commerce um was a rag I'm, I don't know that he plays much poker anymore, but it was a Jewish holiday. I remember that because he's Jewish and it was like 6 p.m. And this kid had 25K and had just tortured everybody. And he's just like racking up his chips, kind of like longingly looking at the table. Like, I can't believe I'm going to leave. <laughs> like, and he left. Um, the kid ended up dusting all of his money to me. <laughs> felt very, very nice. Like I, <laughs> I, ended up, I think I cashed out like 28 K and profit on this on the day um when i stacked him when i stacked him like one of the regs just kind of looked at me and i believe totally earnest just said i hate you like <laughs> totally meant it i hate you um everybody's money <laughs> and i'm not gonna lie it felt great it felt great oh, to be hated so that day so i was like this God. is this is nice i just had like a 15 buy-in win at a 10 20 game um I'm gonna go to my room, but yeah, it was, uh, that was a, that was a really fun session. Like sometimes, you know, somebody, it, it happens both ways. They have a big win at blackjack. They come dust off money. I've seen people have a big win at Baccarat and come and dust off like, uh, yeah. you know, a rack, rack of hundreds just in no time flat. I've seen somebody runs up a $600 stack to 20,000 and then eventually dusts it all off. I've seen that happen a number of times too. <laughs> like it, it's just, uh, Sometimes those opportunities pop up. Yeah, it's, it's always a good time to punch your stack if you make a bunch of money, guys. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just... I, I think in those spots, like you, like you just can't leave, really, unless no, like, I, yeah, you can't unless your religion is interfering with the <laughs> unless you have religious obligations or you can't hold your head up at all. It it almost feels sinful to leave the game. Yeah, I felt really bad about leaving, but I, there was nothing I could do. I was going to be the punter or get kicked out of the place sleeping at the table. Yeah, 24 hours. Um, 24 hours in, that's pretty. it's a pretty long time. Yeah. Yep. So that segues into the next question of your least favorite session of all time. I don't know. I mean, coming into day three of the main event – going just having everything bad in the world happen and almost soft bubbling it my first time playing it that felt like complete dog shit um <laughs> that felt pretty bad something that's probably that's something that really like really sucked in the moment because i think i went into day three with 
265k at was it 816 or something like that i can't remember something like that and just everything so yeah it was i i can't remember every it was just like having kings and c-bet flop you know and I mean, not too bad, just ace high flops and just everything just running into sets. But yeah, pretty much that session. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty brutal, especially in a time like the main event. You don't want to run bad. But unfortunately, I think there are lots of people <laughs> that that end up busting out of the main event every single year, right? There, it's like right the, before the, yep. <laughs> it's like the Highlander. There can only be one, um, one winner at the end of the day. I, uh, kind of funny i it reminds me of one of my mtt stories when i was probably 21 at some like it was a wsop circuit event in tunica mississippi and like i don't really i've never been drawn to tournaments but you know 21 i played some tournaments and buy into like the first one which is a two or three hundred dollar event there was like a thousand runners or it was just a shit ton of people Mm -hmm. and this is like before the rebuys and the re-entries too so it was like actually a thousand human beings (laughs) bought bought into this tournament and i made the final table i didn't have the chip lead but i had something absurd like it was something ridiculous like 30 percent of the chips like me i had 30 percent, and the dude to my left had 30 percent, and he had like slightly more than me and i remember going to the final table where first was like 60 60 up top and there was nine of us and these this elderly couple in the stands who were like watch like enjoy watching these final tables like in the bleachers um (laughs) kind of approached me and they were like giving me some coaching you know they're like you know (laughs) calm down and you know take your time in the beginning uh you know, don't take many chances, like be solid. People lose most of their stack early on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I'm 21. So obviously very arrogant and, uh, sort of discount the advice, which by the way, I don't know that it was great advice anyway, but (laughs) I know this much, the very first hand on the restart, I got Kings against the player who's in third place. And like they had aces, we get it in. And it was like, okay, so this is how this final table is going to go. Um, and like I get in Kings and I'm not shitting you. I look back, <laughs> I look back, I see the elderly couple like in the crowd in the first hand, I double somebody up and lose, you know, probably 40 <laughs> or 50% of my stack. And they just kind of like, they give me the shrug. Like, like I, I told you so. <laughs> I told you, what are you doing? I gave you the advice. I yeah. I was like, Oh <laughs> god like of course like <laughs> extra probably, needle like on top ec- of extra you. needle as i get like like what, what, the, what the hell are you gonna do with king's pre like you just go broke i mean what, yeah. what are you gonna do yeah. um yeah that was uh i ended up finishing sixth in that tournament and the only reason i finished sixth was because i had so many chips that it took it took a like three or four double ups for me to lose my stack. But if I could have lost it faster, I think I would have, um, it was just Damn. like a total disaster of a day. But it, I think in, in hindsight, it's kind of funny, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a crazy story. Did you get coaching from the couple after, did you approach them for coaching after you got six points? Yeah. I, I spent all, <laughs> all of my winnings on coaching to try to sh- you just pre-booked. <laughs> yeah, show me the way how to close out these final tables. Cause I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, you with the honey, I told you you're gonna play conservatively. 
Yeah, like I mean, I just saw the look on their face was like, yep, see, I told you. What are you doing? I'm like, oh my god. That'd be so classic. That's so funny. Oh yeah. It's it's funny. Funny memory. When you think about pots that you've won, do you have any hands that come to mind? Like any memorable big pots? Any memorable big pots that I I mean, it's so hard in like tournament world. It just all kind of meshes together between some massive flip we needed to win, like on some final table. I don't know. I'm like the kind of poker player that only remembers the bad things and not too many of the really good. Kind of. <laughs> I think it's not just poker players. The these this is how humans are constructed, right? Like yep. uh, Phil Galfond came on CPG and was talking about shot taking the big stakes and battling Ivy, and said that he had a day where basically he lost four hundred k, which was half of his bankroll, and you know that was a memorable loss. And he realizes that at some point his shot taking had to stick but cannot remember it sticking, right? Like you remember the times that you face setbacks, but at some point it had to stick. He just doesn't remember when it happened because that's not a thing that we kind of focus on or think about. No, we take the wins as like, oh, I've worked for this. And I don't know, it's like mentally like, okay, I kind of, I don't expect to win, but I expect to get our fair share when we get the money in good, right? Um, you expect good things to happen. I think that's the expectation is like you keep doing the work, you keep plugging away, eventually exactly. good things will happen. Um, so when they do, they're, it's not that they're expected. Well, it is that they're expected eventually after you just you know, stack good decision on top of good decision over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's why it's really hard to come down to maybe one, one hand. I know there's certain Sundays where I'm playing – completely out of my mind zoned and playing great you know um i've definitely had sessions where i can say holy shit i was playing kind of out of body the entire time and i i don't necessarily have that sensation every single time or even often you know comparatively in flow right in flow and i don't have that in flow and i'm trying to find that more often um it's one of those it's like one of those magic eye puzzles where like you you kind of have to release control to find it. You can't like actively grab it. It's just no. one of those things that just kind of happens. And for streaming, there's an extra element because I'm streaming, you know, nearly every single session. So I don't only have to be in flow with the poker. I have to be in flow with the stream, um, with the feel, and then also making sure I'm, my thought processes out loud are good, my mental's good so there's a few i feel like extra elements that we can kind of lose flow from while streaming but yeah it is not beneficial to always <laughs> verbalize your thought process out loud it's draining it takes energy it really is. um really much does. easier when you just think and react i i think that like one of the indicators that i think i'm playing in flow or playing at a high level is i'm able to make um good folds i think that that's a thing that i if it's questionable in one way or the other, I typically call. Um, but being able to like fold in a hand where the other regs at the table, I just know that they're not folding very often, if ever. 
um, I think those moments and then on ignition, of course, you get the whole card. So then you can see if your fold is validated. Um, and I'm at my most dangerous when I'm confident enough to make an exploitable fold. And the expectation is like, I don't even have to check the hand. I know that I know this was a good decision. And then you just keep playing hand after hand after hand. I mean, that's when like, Uh yeah, you probably don't want to come in contact with me at the poker table. (laughs) Where you're not just kind of making, not even marginal calls, but you're making just very good, strong folds in those situations. And then you're not even thinking about it after the fact you've already moved on and you're on to playing great the next hand. Yeah, you can be. Yeah, it's like mental state. Yeah, like I, I was playing 2K and L the other day and like uh, call a preflop raise with King 10 and like the flops Queen Jack 10 and villains on the button and goes like pot, pot over bet rip. And like, it was like, I knew I could see the future. Like when they bet pot on the turn, I'm like, they're ripping the river. You know, they've got whatever, uh, 1200 behind and there's 900 in the pot. Like they're just always ripping. And so it was like a pretty trivial call. Um, because blocking ace king and i i sort of live by a heuristic that if i can predict what opponent's going to do before they do it it's kind of more likely that more likely that they have more bluffs in their range than you might think and uh yeah so i just like snap it off with the pair of tens and villain shows like six nine of diamonds and then 30 minutes later like i have ace queen and the flops like queen seven seven and somehow fold to a jam on the turn, like an overbet rip, and look it up. Dude's got kings, and I'm like, you know, this is this is when poker's fun. When nothing, there's no questions in my mind. There, it's not like any fear. It's just I'm reading the data points, I'm analyzing them at a high level, and I'm making great decisions. And like that's a very fun time to be in the streets playing cards. Yep, and you only get to that level when you're working your ass off. You don't just, I mean, you can find some flow if you don't have a lot of experience. You can, you know, I, I believe like every player player state has some kind of flow, but the better we get, the harder we work, you know, the higher the win rate is when we get in that state and we just crush, right? So. Yeah, and it has something to do with challenge too. The challenge needs to be uh, a challenge that excites you or a challenge that you can, that resonates with you, that you can feel um, I think that that's when the flow state you can really you can really experience it when you know you have something that drives you maybe a stake that you haven't played before mm-hmm. or you know just whatever it is just getting back in the streets and playing volume and like being a, being a professional poker player right because this podcast doing it creating content building a business is very time consuming and so I haven't had a ton of time to get in the streets so for me it's like. Yeah, I'm going to rip off um 100k sample of winning 10 BBs over 100 just so I can drop it on Twitter and <laughs> then, you know, that that's what I that's what my aim and my goal is and yeah, it it's fun it's fun for me at least where it's like, okay, I haven't been playing a ton, but I still got it. I can still compete at a high level and I enjoy the thrill of competition and playing against you know players the the denizens that reside in the the higher limit streets on ignition yeah i mean i love it man i mean the competitiveness drives me as well and that's one of the reasons why i'm in poker i have a hard time 
finding that outside of poker, like after Black Friday, when I was forced to, you know, give some under, other industries a shot, always drawn back to poker from the competitive aspect, from being able to compete with yourself, and some of eventually, you know, the best players in the world or the best players at the stakes you're currently playing. So yeah, I, I, I can completely understand that sentiment. Yeah, and sometimes I, I think it's a sentiment that doesn't resonate with everyone. Um, but because there are people that just want to play in like the easiest, most accessible games. But I think too, like that's that's sort of another perspective change that I've had where it's like, man, I get to play during the day. I know that I know the day crew, higher stakes cash game. People are of a higher caliber than the night crew, but fuck it. This is when I get to play. So let's throw (laughs) down, let's see, let's see what dude who's battling at 11, am on the east coast is made of or these five dudes and like you know some of the games i play it are not necessarily great games but it's challenging it's fun and i'm really i'm just really enjoying the process yeah i I like that just still knowing that you're going to be in the tougher pool at that time and still kind of going forward and not just taking the easy way out yeah yeah i mean basically by by the time eight o'clock rolls around like I, i don't typically have much to give in the in the realm of energy i'm pretty much spent at that point right yeah whereas i'm starting most of my sessions at 7 p.m 8 p.m eastern and needing to go till like 2 3 a.m yeah i've lived that life it does it it doesn't it doesn't work with me anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I value, I value being a a normal human being waking up at like 8am more than staying awake all night to play in the better games. It's like, ugh. I mean, tournament schedule, obviously different because you you, you got no choice. You gotta, you gotta play when the people play. Yep. As an East coast grinder, we don't have a choice. That's why we're the toughest out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be grinding the late night stuff. And I got buddies like God's big toes, a big friend of mine. He's like, Oh yeah, I'll play a full Sunday session. I'm done by like seven, 8 PM and played everything. I'm like, wow, I'm in three o'clock in the morning here, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, again, East coast, you gotta do what you gotta do. So I gotta, gotta battle the daytime grinders. Let's go to war and see what happens. Fish dog bets the flop, and you don't know what to do. One man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening, and yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me, and I... Ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide, but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead, and the course is $99, so <laughs> definitely paid for itself very, very quickly. And I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 No Limit. Like, I think this is a course that will very, very quickly pay for itself given how 
how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is, what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's got to be like in the top three most frequently asked questions. You, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I am almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. That's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. What about a bad session? Your least favorite session? I think that... Or actually, least favorite... Sorry. Erase that. Um, pot's lost. When you think of pots lost, do, do do any pots kind of come to mind? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's a few, considering I've bubbled <laughs> some major, major final tables in my day. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I have a pot where it's just, well, I mean, these are just like bad beat stories. Who wants to hear these? I'm just bubbling the final table of um, the... You remember back in the day, Full Tilt had their weekly major? Everybody had a weekly major. Uh, yeah, I think it day. was a 150. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking of something then, but I remember it just being just a massive, massive cooler, probably for so much equity when there were six figs up top, just running aces into another pair of aces into kings and losing to the pair of kings on a mm. stone final table bubble uh with six figs up top when we were you know top four stack or something and that kind of bubbling from that that was probably something that uh almost sounds like a joke and how'd you deal with that oh i probably hammer fisted my keyboard (laughs) and spiked my mouse like not good (laughs) this was this was a young sixes it was definitely something spazzy but i've also like Final table of the Venetian uh, deep stack. I remember that. And uh, it was like 60K up top and just lose aces to jacks for all the money to get six, six place for like six, seven K or something like that, which was sad as shit. But those are the, I guess those are the two pots that like front of mind for big equity uh, that would have uh, done a lot for me at the time. Yeah, it's, it's a side effect. I mean, it's going to happen in the MTT scene where oh, yeah. you need it and you just don't get it. Uh, my patented move back when I was 21 or 22 was um, basically I, I had the set of poker chips that I think everybody had. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that, I, I think you should know what I'm talking about, like the little clay blue ones and white ones and black ones. And I would constantly be shuffling them. And like my patented move was just to grab a handful of them and just <laughs> chunk it against a wall like just some something bad happens and boom and like the chips just shatter um <laughs> that was like that was my go-to move when i w- when i was super young and couldn't really yep. deal with my emotions very well 
Yeah, I was there too. Mine was uh, just hammer fisting keyboards. I had, I don't even know how many. Probably went through five keyboards and <laughs> smashing some mouses back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't do that kind of stuff anymore, even though I do think I broke a mouse on stream about maybe two, three years ago. But we're reformed now. We're reformed. <laughs> <laughs> no more mice breaking. I mean, nah, nah. at the end of the day, it's just a stupid mouse. So yeah. whatever. And I feel better after I do it, even though it's a complete just like, it's stupid. I think the last time I broke one on stream, I didn't have a backup or something. <laughs> like, yeah. So you got what you deserved. Yeah, for um, sure. You got what you deserved. Um, so, but I, I will say that there is a benefit in kind of releasing that energy as long as you don't ruminate, stew on it. It doesn't affect you like for nope. hours. I think that like experiencing anger is a very, is a thing that you ought to do when you feel angry, especially in MTTs because if you just hold it in, like eventually you just kind of explode and burn your house down one day. <laughs> yeah. I believe in that. And I've, I've like I say, I mean, I've, I'm fortunate enough to not really ever take whatever's happening in poker to the family or out off the table. So if I can, you know, just get angry real quick and vent for like two seconds and get it out of my system, it helps me feel better. I don't think that's good for everybody. But trying to pretend like I'm not angry and holding it in the entire time doesn't feel too great either. So. Yeah, it's not healthy. You no. Emotions are meant to be felt. And the reality is poker is a very emotional game. And when you say that I don't feel emotions, well, I'm just going to say bullshit. I don't believe you. <laughs> like that's just you're a human being. You're born with emotions. If you don't feel it, then I guess maybe you're a sociopath. But I don't think that's something to be <laughs> happy about not feeling any emotions ever. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I don't know if it's always healthy to do some of the things, if there's a healthy way to release those. But, you know, um, it, I, I do think it's okay to sometimes feel a little bit of tilt in the moment or just release that that energy, that negative energy just releasing. It, I agree. Yeah, and ultimately for for the listener at home, it's the goal in poker is not to never feel your emotions. The goal is to recover faster from get being emotionally compromised. It's just to increase your ability to recover when something doesn't go well. Because at the end of the day, performance is all about recovery. And if you're able to recover from a bad session or a bad tournament, and it allows you to play more hands that day, or over the course of a year, you will make more money over the course of the year if you don't require like a sleep cycle to fully recover, right? So ultimately, your job is just to recover faster and faster and faster and faster um, to the point to where like something happens, you feel the emotion, and then you're able to just kind of shake it off and recover quickly and get in some more hands. So for yourself, I have a question. When you're playing live and you have that feeling, like obviously if you're sitting at home, you can grumble a little bit, right? If something happens behind the screen. When you're live, do you get up from the table if you start to feel yourself feeling angry or do you not really get that live as much anymore? Like, Well, it's hard for me to remember what live poker is um, <laughs> true. at this, at this true, stage true, of life. I, I think... In live poker, part of my process was to take a walk probably every hour at least. And and this is in like time rate games where I was paying for my walk. But I think that I think that the mistake people make is thinking that like sitting down in a chair for twelve hours a day and not moving at all is like 
healthy or good. Um, you need to get inner, you need to release energy, walk around, do some push ups, stretch, do breathing exercises, and just take, take care of yourself. Uh, if I ever get so, I guess the levels in which I get emotionally compromised are fairly low at this stage in my career. So if I ever find myself wanting to snap at someone at the poker table, then that's a pretty clear indicator that either A, I need to not play anymore, or B, I need to walk around and try to recover. And if I cannot recover, then just rack up and leave because that that's like my indicator that like you're not in you're not in a mindset, you're not in a mood to play at the level that you would like to play at. And it's just going to end and it just never fails to end regrettably. Yeah, it's really hard to recover if you if it's just kind of lingering, especially live. And it's nice when you life you just get up and leave. You're not stuck there, you know, especially with cash. You can just rack up. I, I think my, my online training though is like so good for live because like online, you know, online is like it's the beast, right? Like a one one of my students started playing zone poker because he was having problems dealing with uh he was having problems recovering from hands that he thought he misplayed. He was ruminating. He would get stuck in mindset loops, spend a lot of energy dwelling on hands he may or may not have misplayed. And so he gets the bright idea to just play zone poker um, because then he doesn't have time to ruminate and think about it, right? Like mm-hmm. basically this is like classic high performer, high performer thought like, okay, I'm having problems recovering fastly or recovering quickly. Now, how do I get around that? Well, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play a hand, play, play poker in a way that I don't have to recover because I don't have time to think about it. Right. Which ended in complete and utter disaster because what happened was he didn't have any time to recover in zone poker. And so (laughs) he just had 10 regrettable things happen all at the same time and then just crumbled, um, straight onto the floor. So because of playing a lot of volume and a lot of hands online and having to recover much more quickly than live poker, I think that that's sort of trained me to where it's hard to it's hard to get me compromised in the live arena just because like you yeah, always have cool. time you know you've got a minute a few minutes beforehand sometimes you go 15 minutes without really doing anything and like you've just got a lot of time to recover whereas online, Bad shit happens and great. You got right four more four more hands popping up that you got to deal with. Yep. And it can compound so much faster and easier online than live. You just sit there and like you said, you got 15, 20 minutes before you even maybe have to make a reasonable decision sometimes. So, yeah. yeah. So you, you just online is like the great training ground to improve mindset, improve technical poker skill and put yourself in a position to be a winning live player. I think that like every live player who has aspirations of moving up stakes ought to put in some volume and some time in the online game because only, only good things can happen really. Yep. I agree. What would you consider a a weakness you have related to your poker game? And then what steps do you take regularly to overcome said weakness? Um, I certainly think sometime uh, mental game for me is something I've been 
improving on greatly. Um, but it was, it was certainly a bigger league, maybe even like the last time we did a podcast uh, between today. Still something I'm improving on because, you know, sometimes with streaming and I'm, I've had this competitive league my, you know, entire life where I just get blinded competitively and just get too emotionally and caught up and I invest so much and I feel the letdown and then sometimes that can hang, hang over to other games. Um, so I would say just being more mentally not so uh, attached to some of these tournaments, you know, in, in these situations where, you know, something like those massive beats happen in game and needing to recover fast. So, so, so sort of like your student, you know, I think it can be tough when you're playing a ton of volume, you have high expectations, you work your ass off. Um, so there, I guess the perfect word would be for maybe a little entitlement tilt, right? You can get a little entitled tilt. Yeah, a, a little bit. But when you say competitor, what do you mean by competitor? Well, I feel like I, I, I just like maybe I know how competitive I may be um, as we all are. Right. But I think I just handle sometimes losing uh, at portions of the session or in certain stages of the tournaments uh, a little poorly where it may affect my decisions for the rest of the session, maybe even for a small time frame before I click out of it. Um, and I'm much better at recovering, but I still think like, I know I'm competing the hardest. Um, and then I feel like I just mentally <laughs> yeah. feel kind of that letdown. This is or the, if I make a mistake, you know, it, yeah, this, this is the coach in me coming out. But like <laughs> when you, when you say you're highly competitive, that's like an indicator to me that, Basically, you don't like losing. <laughs> you don't handle I, losing well at all. Man, that's that's yeah. that's what I that's what I think um, you mean by that. Yeah, I mean it's it's the gift and the curse. Like I, I will take that, and it, it pushes me to work harder. But at the same time, I there has to be some level of expectation that you're going to get your teeth pushed in, kicked in a lot in poker, and you have to just work on getting better in the things you can't control. Yeah. And just, I mean, almost kind of forget about the things you can't because you're always going to get unlucky in spots. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that like I've, as someone who has competed in things my entire life and who has a, you know, a sister that refuses to play board games with him to this day <laughs> because of the way that I may or may not have handled myself historically. Um, just, I understand, you know, the sentiment of winning, uh, of identifying winning as ha uh, feeling good and identifying losing as feeling bad. And in poker, man, it, it's so hard, right? It's so hard yeah. to separate because what I always come back to and I guess the way that I frame, I frame my, my sessions is just like, was my decision good? Like if my decision is good, I feel like I won. And here's a class, here's a classic example that happened in last week's poker power hour. I think I've already talked about this, but I want to, I want to talk about it again because it gives sort of an insight into just how I think about the game and how I approach poker. Um, we broke down a hand where, 
a guy who plays poker at a high level, open ace tray of clubs from the small blind and facing the big blind and like at like 200 and L in a cash game, big blind defends. And the flop was queen four deuce with one club. And the guy bet out the big blind who's a reg raised and the PPH uh, attendee bet three bet and talked a lot about why they decided to bet three bet because they need some weaker hands to bet three bet with here because theory theory um, has the big blind raising with a lot of middle pair four uh, X and deuce X. So basically because they need some bluffs, this is a very natural bluff. It's a gut shot with backdoor flush draw. So anyway, they bet three bet the turns of four and we talked a lot about sizing you know, the sizing to choose if you continue to barrel there. And my suggestion was a very small sizing on the turn to kind of set up a river jam. I think that like the board pairing means you don't need a ton of protection. The board's fairly dry. So he ends up betting small in real time. He's a actually, he's a very strong player. Um, this kid, he bets small, big blind calls. And now the river's a five. So he makes his wheel. And there's like a pot size bet left. And so basically the kid jams, right? And we're talking about the jam and talking about the hand and villain folded. And I think about poker in a way that villain folded queen jack off. So they folded top pair. And I'm happy. I would be happy that villain, happier that villain, villain folded. And it means that I lose this, uh, or that I win a smaller pot than villain snapping it with queen jack off. If villain snaps with queen jack off, I would actually feel way worse about the path that we reach the river. And I think that, like, that's sort of how I think about poker is if the plan was foobar from the jump and the hands were targeting to try to fold out, if they don't fold them when we get there, well, a much more likelier outcome is we don't get there and we shove as a bluff, and they snap off the hands that we're targeting to fold, right? So anyway, that's sort of like a... That's just how I go about thinking about the game. Is like, if I have a plan, and I execute the plan, and they do something unexpected, even if I hit my miracle on the river, it makes me feel bad, because then I think, hmm, we play out this situation a thousand times, this villain is going to totally own my face, um, because... Most of the time, I don't make my wheel, and they always <laughs> call snap. with their top pair, right? Yep. Yeah, you always get snapped and lose money in the long run in that spot, and you feel good about the way you played it because in this situation, you got lucky, right? But if you play it like that every other time, you're just going to get wrecked. Right, and yeah. and I guess that's like basically the feedback mechanism in poker is so distorted that it's hard to even discern if you won or lost the pot, if you won or lost the hand through your decision-making process, it's obvious whether you win or lose the pot, not always so obvious whether you got the better or worse of an exchange. Yeah. And that's one thing that's really helped me over time with the coaching and, you know, uh, studying the game myself very intensely with the solvers and whatnot is I don't, necessarily still have that leak as much as I used to because I'm getting the feedback like hey you're you're playing fine these spots are all over overall looking good obviously making money and doing well you're just it's just part of the process let's fix the things we can fix some of these little uh you're just going to get lucky you you just, these things are just going to happen when you're playing volume poker is not a get rich quick scheme right 
You know, you're going to have to put in volume and put in work and put in time. Yeah. Control the controllables. Like you said, yep. you, you, you can only control what you can control and the rest of it just kind of happens. And yeah, not to say that like, don't get angry. Don't get upset to the listener. <laughs> you're going to feel those emotions and I, it's, it. yep. it's appropriate to feel them. But at the end of the day, the only thing you can control are the decisions that you make. And so you may as well start there. Agreed. Yeah, that's good. Have you ever strongly believed something about poker only to reverse course later on? And if so, what led to that change of belief? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I'm so always evolving, you know. Uh, I didn't really understand. I thought, <laughs> well, maybe when I first came back, you know, I thought, it's it's almost debatable it's it's almost debatable to say because i know a lot of people really think you can just kind of have basic charts and go the exploitative route only you know you can only you don't really need the theory side i, I don't know I, I feel like i've just become a so much of a stronger player just studying those kind of fundamentals and i still have people who really don't believe in you know, studying the GTO side of things and only just think they need the exploitative side and they'll be fine. And, and it comes a lot from a lot of the guys who just play live and think this kind of stuff's a waste. I'm not saying I thought that at the beginning. I just didn't think it was as necessary as it is. I was always a student of the game. But now at this point, I've almost complete 180. And I think learning the game in this manner and then kind of mixing in learning to exploit as well. is just the best to me. Yeah. I mean, you need baseline. You need a, you need a North star for scenarios that are foreign that maybe you don't encounter all the time. You need to have a strategy that is fairly strong and you know, whether or not sometimes there, you just don't have any available or obvious exploit exploitative route that you can take. And so in those moments you have to lean on the theory. Um, and actually, if you understand the theory that actually gives you understanding as to what the exploits ought to look like, which is also beneficial. So to me, like they like every, everything kind of works together in this kind of harmonious way. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. It just sounds so basic when you say it like simple, right? But there's people who fight back on it, who, I don't know if it's just being stubborn or they think they haven't figured out their way or they're only interested in beating the games that they are currently playing because they don't need to beat another game, right? This is yeah. my local casino. These are 18 player pool that I always run into and I'm crushing this game for this amount of money. But I, I just, you know, as I'm in the game more and in these communities more, I just, I still see that. I still see that out there some and uh, just kind of, wanted to touch on that. Yeah. I, I just find it very interesting. It, it is. And I would just say that live poker is a really good way for your poker game to deteriorate over time. It's a very good way to not improve or grow on a regular basis because I don't think the competition level of live players challenge people in a way that um, fosters growth. Right. And, and I know that like the worst I've ever played was probably online. The worst I've ever played online poker was coming off a stretch of playing live high stakes poker for three or four years and not really playing much online. I had to like be become stronger fundamentally. I had to go back to basics. I had to, yeah, I just had to get sharper. Um, even at like 
comparatively smaller, much smaller stakes online. Um, and yeah, like I think another thing too, is I just kind of, whatever, I, I don't even care anymore I, when people disagree with me or I say something that is like somewhat controversial. I, I think like, yeah, I said something on Twitter and a bunch of people disagreed or about like bad calls don't give me nightmares, bad folds give me nightmares and, or bad folds shouldn't give you nightmares, bad, uh, bad calls should not give you nightmares, bad folds should. And a lot of people disagree with that sentiment very heavily. And I just gotten to the point to where I don't care. Um, I know I don't, I don't give a shit anymore. Like just people regurgitate bad poker wisdom all the time, everywhere, even from, you know, seemingly higher level players. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of shrug my shoulders and I'm like, you know, I'm on my path. I have what I can, I'm convinced to be the best way to learn and improve at this game that I believe in a thousand percent. And so ultimately it's not my job to prove, to prove to the the unbelievers out there. My job is to help the people that trust me and invest in, in me. And that's what I focus on. And I think that's a great way to go about it, right? You don't have to, you're never going to make everybody happy. (laughs) It's just just no way. And there's just going to be haters. Yeah. There's going to be people hating. I'm open to improve my process, but I got to say that like, I'm very, very confident in my process at this point. Like very, very, very confident. There might be better ways to approach it, more efficient, but yeah, I'm, uh, I I don't really, I guess, I guess when, when you know that the shit that you're doing is like really, really, really powerful and really, really good, you, it kind of doesn't matter whether people believe what you say or not. No, because you know what you put into your product and you know what, you know, your clients or your customers are saying, and that's all that really matters. Yeah. And again, like you said, you're going to have haters and like, you can't, you you can't, you can't uh, convert them no matter what you do. So why even bother? Right. Cool, man. So a couple more questions and yeah, we'll get you out of here. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, It's funny. uh, Well, I have been doing a poker coaching study stream that me and God's Big Toe uh, kind of started. We were fortunate enough to have you on as a guest. Um, and we've kind of just created that kind of original. Uh, there was nothing else like it on Twitch. And we've been doing it with but with poker coaching. And I, I, we really enjoy that. The community's growing there. We're doing some more hand history review type stuff. Uh, to help out, you know, more of the micro stakes, low stakes players who may not have access or can afford coaching um, and kind of giving back to the communities that help support us. So I, I'm, I love those kind of projects um, personally. So kind of still doing the poker coaching stuff. I'm doing a little bit more coaching myself. So, you know, kind of getting coaching on coaching. Like I was asking you some questions before. Uh, and doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's pretty much what I'm working on. And obviously trying to become a better poker player every single day. Awesome, man. And uh, final question for the listener, where, if they want to learn more about you, where do they go on the World Wide Web? Yeah, you guys can start uh, on Twitter uh, at Crazy Sixes. And I do stream 
probably four or five nights a week on twitch.tv crazy sixes. Um, we are a sponsored streamer with Ignition. We also have a weekly stream that we do on Global Poker where we host a home game. Um, we create some content for Learn Pro Poker as well. Uh, we have some, I posted some study streams for those guys. Um, and of course, poker coaching. So what I'm trying to say is you can find me <laughs> out there. I am a student of the game. I love it. I feel like I'm still very young uh, in the game. <laughs> I still feel we, like I'm we, very we young. We feel that way, Sean. I feel Dell, that way. I don't yeah. know if it's the truth anymore. I, I'm blinded. <laughs> When I do the math, I'm like, holy shit, like I'm I'm old now. I feel Yeah, but for I, poker, I feel young. I feel I mean, young. Yeah, yeah, we're old for poker. I mean, think about like Young for poker, dude. Poker players can I mean, who's the guy that won the main? What is he in his fifties? Like it just doesn't stop. There's always yeah. opportunity if you love this game. Uh I feel like I'm still like a youth for poker, especially since I came back. I think that's the thing. I lost it after black friday i missed mm-hmm. it and now that i have it back i'm still like a baby it feels like again which yeah. is exciting i think more so i was i was speaking to like you know negranu's nickname is kid poker and like <laughs> at some point that is not an appropriate nickname like at some point <laughs> you outgrow being kid poker um yeah. and in the same way like when i used to play yeah i started when i was 20 years old so i remember being the youngest person playing cards, especially back when I started, I was always the youngest. And yeah, sometimes I play games where I'm the oldest now. And that's just an interesting sort of, yeah, time, time goes on whether you want it to or not. And I want to, I want to still be the young gun instead of like the old weathered veteran of the game. <laughs> yeah. I want to be the young gun too, but being the, there's perks to being the old guy who just gets underestimated and crushes right or people don't think you're capable of certain plays. i don't think i'm that old yet shondell come on <laughs> we, hey look at this boomer guys <laughs> we got this boomer in the game yeah. no <laughs> I, i'm not omc level yet like i still i still got that that fiery youth in me see exactly that's what i wanted to hear i was just trying to drag it out of you yeah no <laughs> i it's in me. It's in me. Um, awesome. Man, it's been, it's been great having you on. We'll do it again. Yeah, we'll catch up again in a year or so. Maybe we'll hang out at the pokercoaching.com meetup if that thing happens after the pandemic. But yeah, it's uh, I'm ready to start getting out there in the world again. And eh, maybe we can do a, a live CPG interview. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I will certainly be in Vegas. Um you know, I'm vaccinated, so I'll be out there for the uh, the series. And I plan on probably getting out there for the online series this July. I don't know if this full schedule has been an- announced, but I know they have teased it that they're going to start it around then. So I plan on trying to get out there for both. Awesome, man. Well, we'll we'll sync up soon. Always a pleasure having you on. Thank you for your time and your energy. Very, very grateful. All right. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. And CPG community. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge. And I'll see you next time.